0: just imagine, right, you've had a pizza and suddenly you're given another one. It just feels great. But after the third or fourth pizza, you end up feeling a bit bad. But with Formula One races, it doesn't quite work like that. Even if you've had a great one and you end up having four great ones after that, the feeling never diminishes. And we are on the run of another great race that's going to come up potentially. It's the Red Bull Ring. And just think back to all the last five or six years. When have we ever seen a bad race at the Red Bull Ring? Well, it's it's always been brilliant. It's always been something full of drama, full of excitement. And what will make it exciting this weekend is exactly what we're going to discuss on the Inside Line F1 podcast. And folks, my name is Somaladora, I'm the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar, joined by Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team, who's also an FIA-accredited Formula One journalist who works for Viaplay, the, the one of the largest broadcasters of Formula One around the world. But I actually want to ask you this question, Kunal, that I just asked the listeners right at the very start. Have we ever seen a bad Austrian GP since its return? Because I just can't remember any. It's got all the characteristics that just make for a great weekend.
1: I actually don't remember a single bad race in Austria. But thank you very much for that introduction, guys. It's fantastic to be doing this. Back-to-back races means back-to-back episodes for Sommel and myself and that's fantastic we love doing the podcast thank you for all your listens but you know to me Sommel, austria uh, especially the a1 ring or the red bull ring uh right is like you know wimbledon to formula one such a beautiful circuit especially in the summer uh you know it's it's in it's in the mountainous regions gorgeous little circuit and i mean little because it is pretty much as little as a circuit can get right uh but i i absolutely love it this weekend actually will officially mark 50 percent of the 2022 season being over can you believe that 50 percent of it being over just when a few races ago we were like yeah the championship is actually a long way to go let's see how it all you know evolves and how it, how, how things change and it's soon going to be 50 percent of the season over Maybe life is just going a bit too good, but I
0: remember it being Austria 2020 almost yesterday when we had two consecutive races at this particular circuit. Wow, time really flies by. And it's going to be brilliant because we also have the sprint weekend coming up once again, Kunal. And I know I asked this question the last time out, saying that do we all miss the sprint races? But it just means another start this weekend. And that, that just could be more goodness because One at Austria, just like every other corner it's just so full of drama. You always have so much going on there. And there's been almost pinball-esque crashes at that particular point. So there's drama for everyone everywhere, essentially.
1: Yes, two starts, two opening laps. I really hope what happened on the first opening lap at Silverstone is not what actually happens ever again. But uh, I... I Think sprint is always going to be fun. Drivers believe that it's easier to overtake at uh, the Red Bull Ring than it was, say, for example, in Imola, uh, which is where we had the last sprint uh, weekend this season, right? So to me, I'm pretty excited. We are pretty much going to have qualifying within 24 hours of recording this uh, podcast. And then soon we're going to have the sprint as well. And, uh, you know, you spoke about, uh, you know, how Formula One raced uh, at the at Austria during the pandemic and in 2020 and in 2021, we actually had two back-to-back races happening at Austria because, hey, we needed to fill up the calendar and why not? And this year, while we don't have two Grand Prix, we actually still have two races, one being the sprint and the second being the Grand Prix itself on Sunday. Yeah, but have you noticed they always end up being good races, And
0: that's the fun part about this. And you always end up getting a bit of a surprise, like one of the Williams getting pole in 2014, like Landon Norris getting his first podium in 2020, or the amazing battle that we had between Verstappen and Leclerc back in 2019, which is a point of discussion that we should come to. But one question before we have a bit of a break for a second, Kunal. The Red Bull Ring. Many people debate this. I just want to know the final end up take on this. Does the circuit have nine corners or 10? Because Formula One officially counts that kink after turn one as turn two. But come on, it's not a turn for the cars, is it? Look at how straight it is. It's
1: as straight as a plank of wood, essentially that's a very good question because when we talk of the circuit officially it's listed as 10 corners but uh, which is of course you know the least number of corners for any grand prix circuit on the calendar right uh till someday we actually end up racing on an oval somewhere in america i don't know just joking but turns two that kink that you're the left kink that you're talking of turn five turn eight are all taken flat out so technically the teams don't really consider them as corners it's just something the drivers have to navigate and you know you spoke of turn 1 uh, turn turn 1 and turn 2 that's where you know lots of overtakes also happen in fact aston martin says that 90% of all overtakes at uh, at the austrian grand prix actually happen at these two turns 2019 leclerc versus verstappen it was like you know lap after lap it was all about who actually makes the overtake uh, at turn uh, turn 3 so I'm pretty excited. We're going to actually see that twice uh, this weekend, the sprint on Saturday and then the race on Sunday.
0: Absolutely. But before we discuss the challenges of this particular weekend and who could be fighting for the win this time out, we'll be back in a second. So stay right here. We'll be back. Hey, folks, welcome back into the Inside Line F1 podcast. And, of course, we were on the subject of discussing the Austrian GP and why it always ends up producing such a good race. And one element that we should talk about, Kunal, that is really definitely going to make this a good one. Now, I know I'm hyping it a bit too much, but it is the fact that we could essentially have four or maybe six drivers fighting for the win. And that sounds like an exciting prospect. And we know for sure that Carlos Sainz has it in him. So just knowing that at least all the top four cars can be fighting is something that we're seeing for the first time this year. Because we've never quite had the surety from Sainz all the way through.
1: But with that win, I think things are just changing for the better, hopefully at least. You know, if Ben Edwards also is to be believed, which I would definitely believe, he's the lead he's the lead commentator and host for the F1 TV broadcast, who we will hear very shortly from as well. Uh, there should be six teams in the fight for the win, Somil. And if not, there is at least going to be four drivers. Uh, you know, definitely going for. Uh, the fight for the win this weekend. And that is pretty epic. I th- I think the last 10 laps at Silverstone, of course, became a lot more interesting because we had four teams. So actually five teams in in the fight at that point of time. While Carlos Sainz ran away, there was uh, Perez's Red Bull, uh, Lewis's Mercedes, Lando's McLaren and then uh, leclercs ferrari and then of course uh, alpine uh, fernando alonso's alpine in the battle so if we actually get six teams uh, sorry six drivers fighting it would be epic and some some stats and you like always you guys always hear a lot of stats from us uh, and this one is courtesy of the f1 stat guru so since uh, the red bull ring returned to hosting formula 1 races races have only been won by mercedes And Red Bull themselves and the last Ferrari win actually goes back 20 years 2003 when Michael Schumacher won here when it was of course called the A1 ring
0: what I I actually can't believe it but you're right Ferrari have never quite had a great track record but Ben Edwards has a different take on that. He thinks that this might just be the year that Ferrari end up getting there and potentially even Mercedes could beat the teams in the mix as well. So why is that? Let's actually listen to him right now
2: uh i could ask for six cars to be uh, fighting for the win whether it's going to work for mercedes <laughs> i don't know um because austria is a bit of a funny track and the red bull is very quick in a straight line as we know the ferrari is very quick through slow corners and there are quite a few slow corners in austria so i think the ferrari is going to be very strong there it's such a short lap though remember in qualifying in austria you'll get di- the difference in your lap time when they're so close it will literally be one thousandths thousandth of a second because it's a very short lap distance so it- it's an incredibly uh, difficult one to get absolutely you've got to get it so perfect and that first corner in particular is an easy one to, to run wide make a mistake so I'm looking forward to it I think it is going to be another very close battle between Ferrari and Red Bull in particular whether it's going to work so well for Mercedes I, have to, I don't know they might work because the, the slow corner speeds and I noticed that Perez said to Hamilton um, after the race when they were having their battle guy you had really good speed um, down at um, turn 7 which is Luffield's. Corner at Silverstone, that is a slow corner, and um, so it makes me think mm, maybe Mercedes actually could could have some decent performance. So that's what I want. I want to see all three teams battling.
0: Now he he's got a point, isn't he? And if he is correct, Canal, it's hard to imagine how good the race will be. I mean, in a positive sense, because the possibilities are unlimited in a way. But there, there, there could be a chance, and to see someone like Hamilton or Russell even in the fight, I think that just makes a good race even better because. There's so many things that makes it, that make it actually a great circuit for racing. We've got clear-cut opportunities where you can actually go and pass, and those corners are extremely wide. And last year, we saw that cars, they were able to struggle a little bit on the entry into the corners. They were actually suffering from dirtier, as they did in every single circuit. But with the new generation of Formula 1 cars, that problem has been alleviated to a great extent. So theoretically, with a the wide-open circuit, lots of following with lots of straights, this just could be fantastic. And, and I can't imagine how good it's going to be eventually on Sunday and luckily for us on Saturday as well.
1: Yes, and you mentioned Lewis Hamilton. This is officially the longest that he's gone into a Formula 1 season without actually scoring a win. We've crossed 10 races in uh, the season. And he is yet to score a win. He would have almost won uh, at Silverstone had it not been for a late race safety car and all of that. But that's with Lewis Hamilton. He's also the only driver to have actually been classified as a finisher in 2022. The other driver who's also had the same classification of a finisher is Lance Stroll. But, you know, one of the reasons why we are also, of course, hyped up is, you know, Leclerc needs to win. He needs to get his title battle Uh, up there you know he of course would have felt that he's you know lost out on just so many points since his retirement in Spain either down to mechanical gremlins or strategy issues or in fact even uh, as one may call it team orders in the last race in Silverstone right. Checo Perez he had a fantastic recovery drive I mean you know he was literally 16th at on lap seven after his issues at At Silverstone, and with 19 laps to go, he was almost 45 seconds away from the lead. So he was helped by the the late race safety car, where everyone got punched up. And then Max Verstappen, he would have won had it not been for the floor damage that his car was carrying. You know, which uh, we found out uh, Nityanand actually dug through the data, and Max was losing almost 1.4 seconds a lap uh, in race pace as compared to Checo Perez. So pretty much. Every driver is going to be wanting to go out there. And sorry, I actually forgot uh, George Russell. You know, with his opening lap retirement at Silverstone, he no longer is the only driver to have finished every race this season and finished in the top five and raced every lap. So he would want to sort of, you know, now that his counter is reset, he would want to rebuild on, on that counter in itself. And, you know, if there's one driver I would really love to see, Samuel, it's Charles Leclerc because he has been qualifying what top 3 top 4 pretty much all the races but he has failed to finish on the podium in the last five races and that just last five races and that just sounds very i don't know it's scary it's 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 just weird
0: right it's just not charles leclerc and if you look at all the races it's not all to do with the driver i mean so many of them have been cases where the team has taken away not Intentionally, of course, or it could well be. Maybe that could be the conspiracy theory of the 2020 decade, essentially. But it's just been races where the team has compromised this challenge in terms of winning the race. And now it seems like it's heading towards compromising their challenge for the championship. But how he responds is going to be critical because we know that he can do a great job at this particular circuit. Case in point 2019, where he had this outstanding battle with Max Verstappen that could just end up being a precursor to what we end up seeing this weekend. But he's got it in him. He's got the car. So what's going wrong, Kunal? It's just things of either reliability or strategy. I think he gets only one of the two. So, to see how he performs this weekend is going to be absolutely brilliant, especially in qualifying, where the onus is on
1: him to just get one up on Max Verstappen and maybe on his teammate as well. You're right, Samil. You know, if there's anything, Charles needs to not lose hope and keep driving as fantastically well as he has been so. And in fact, uh, you know, by not claiming pole position uh, at Silverstone and in Canada... Uh it's now the longest gap between races where Charles has not been on pole. But no, on in all seriousness, you know Charles of course came into the month of July before Silverstone and said, I need to be in full attack, need to win all the races I can this summer. Matea Binotto said Charles now has an extra power unit in his pool. He can push even more aggressively in the races before the summer. So all of that concluded uh, he needs to be up there out there qualifying up front you know leading the race in uh, the sprint and then leading the race in in the grand prix as well because I, I i think if we are going to see a title battle let's not dream about a perez verstappen or a verstappen signs it has to it is going to be a leclerc verstappen or a verstappen nobody
0: Ah, oh, come on. What what if we have a 2010-like scenario where we have five different drivers potentially fighting and then maybe the least expected one, which in this case could well end up being Charles Leclerc by the end of the year, ends up putting the title. But yeah, I'm dreaming far too much. And at this stage, it seems like the team and the driver being on the same page also is a bit of a dream. But I think that's enough on raining really down on their parade. I also want to talk about Lewis Hamilton for a second because... His spread has been laid down upon many times over here. I mean, it's it's hard to believe, but he hasn't won a race here since 2016, Kanal. He's been on pole uh, here or there once or twice, but he's traditionally had a bad record since then because 2017, 18, 19 and 2020 Austrian GP, he wasn't on the podium, which is hard to imagine. But that's just what the case was on series. So historically, it's not been the best hunting ground, but we know for a fact that Potentially, he could be in the mix as well.
1: But Mercedes have had traditional problems
0: over here with vibrations.
1: It's actually good you mentioned Hamilton, Sommel, because Hamilton has actually won here in 2016, after which he has failed to even stand on the podium, right? That's the key part. Hamilton has won race win out here whereas max verstappen has three and guess who has two wins it's valtteri bottas right so it's uh it's actually not one of the best uh, hunting grounds for mercedes and something else that i dug up as a stat as well right uh is uh, mercedes has actually had three double dnfs since their return to formula one uh, and 2018 austrian grand prix was their last Double DNF, which was, of course, on mechanical grounds with both drivers. And then 2016 Spain, we know what happened. And then way before that was 2011 Australian Grand Prix.
0: Wow, that, that's a long way off. And, and a lot of it can be broken down to the curb side, because we, we've often heard the Mercedes engineers specifically say to them that, guys, stay off there. The vibrations are going to be a major, major talking point. Uh, just how do they deal with that eventually?
1: the vibrations are going to be key in fact this year the curbs are going to be even more crucial because let's remember guys uh, you know these are ground effect cars they need their uh, their floors to be undamaged as much as possible to extract the best performance right we saw what happened to max verstappen at silverstone just a few days ago so how the drivers tackle these curbs is also going to be very crucial because if you if you want quick lap times. You have to be aggressive with the usage of these curbs as well. So that's another challenge into the mix level.
0: Among other things as well, because in those list of other things, we also have to talk about the gravel traps and the sausage curbs, which have often been a point of debate. I think over the last couple of years, we've had big discussions on the gravel trap specifically, because there have been drivers who have tried to make moves around the outside, I think uh, it was last year where we also renamed our race for this race to be the outside line of phone podcast just to pay homage to the number of moves that we saw around the outside over there. But as with Sergio Perez and Lando Norris last year, we have seen proof time and again that it may not work out because of the gravel on the outside. So with, let's say, more racier cars that can follow better, will drivers be even more audacious than before? And if they are, that's going to be a major talking point that they have to keep in mind. And the sausage curve at turn number one as well, Kunal, because... If I remember correctly, Fernando Alonso went on a tirade about it last year and he actually uh, intended to start his own path of of being a vigilante right after the Austrian GP because he said it's dumb to follow the rules because the rules aren't quite black or white. So race control
1: could well be under pressure about how to resolve that turn one issue. That's correct. Track limits is always a challenge. You know, turn 10 is going to be another challenge for track limits as well. And let's hope that these curbs don't really launch drivers into the air like we've seen that before. But all in all, Samil, I think it's going to be a very exciting race weekend. I love gravel traps. I love the fact that they add an extra challenge uh, rather than having a runoff area, as we've seen in some of the more modern circuits, right? And one of the, uh, I mean, you know, we, we spoke of, before we move on from uh, gravel traps, just, you know, what something Mercedes actually said is the, the curbs at the Red Bull Ring are notorious and very aggressive, and they are considered to be one of the toughest tests for vehicle suspensions, right? So, let's see how cars stack up to that as well, right? And then the other big challenge, I believe, uh, is going to be the short lap. You know, it's 63 seconds, or depending on how fast, uh, how much faster cars can go, right? So, that uh, that is sort of a big challenge when it comes to cooling which is the problems that we you know we've seen with mercedes before as well uh we've seen problems with traffic especially in you know q uh, q1 and q2 when there are a lot more cars on track uh we saw how fettel got stuck behind somebody else and then fernando alonso almost had a near miss uh you know uh, last year in qualifying if my memory is correct and then strategy you know safety car normally virtual safety car depending on the timing we'll see uh, if it can induce a second race stop because normally it turns out to be a single stopper around around austria because drivers are left to do all the overtaking and and climbing of positions on track
0: Exactly. And that just makes it such a fun race. And with the short circuit as well, as you mentioned, Kunal, there's a bit of a challenge in terms of managing your cooling. But F1 Stats Guru, who we're just going to hear from in a minute right now, has also come up with this very interesting stat about the advantage of having a short lap. And he says that a short circuit also translates to smaller gaps between cars. Since this when you return to the F1 calendar in 2014, the average pole margin in dry qualifying sessions is just 0.156 seconds. That's a tenth and a half. Now that means that qualifying on Friday is going to be extremely special. But I just can't, I just can't say it properly. Qualifying on Friday doesn't just quite sound right. But that's that's too much of complaining. I'm sure I'll get a hang of it as time goes on. But it's actually time to listen to F1 Stats Guru as he brings you a stats preview of the Austrian GP.
3: Hey folks, it's time to do the stats preview of the Austrian Grand Prix. I'm Sundaram, also known as the F1 Stats Guru, let's talk numbers. Now the Red Bull Ring is the 5th shortest circuit of the season after Monaco, Netherlands, Mexico and Brazil, yet the overall lap time of roughly 63 seconds is the quickest this year. The F1 sprint returns this weekend and the man to beat is Max Verstappen. That's because he's been on pole in 3 of the 4 race weekends to include an F1 sprint. Plus he just loves racing at this venue. He has 4 wins here and no one else has those many wins in Austria. They don't call it the Red Bull ring for nothing. Valtteri Bottas had a bad outing in Silverstone but he'll be happy to come back to Spielberg. And that's cause he's finished on the podium in 6 of the last 7 occasions. Here's something for the McLaren fans though. This is one of Lando Norris's more preferred tracks. He started on the front row last year and he's finished in the top 6 in every outing, including 2 P3 finishes. But wait, there's something else you need to know about. This is Norris' fourth season in Formula 1 and quite strangely, he's retired from the 11th race of every season he's been a part of and Austria is race number 11 this year. Keep your fingers crossed, but if he does DNF, don't blame me. That's the stats preview of the Austrian Grand Prix. I'll catch you guys soon. Welcome
0: back in folks to the Inside Line F1 podcast. We just heard from F1 stats crew who gave us a lowdown on all the stats that we could be looking forward to from this weekend at the Austrian Grand Prix. And apart from the stats as well, Kunal, there's also another thing that we should bring up that we haven't quite brought up so far in this episode. And it's the eight-sleeve list of drivers to watch out for. One of them this weekend has to be Charles Leclerc. And we've already discussed his performance and all that Could be uh, a major discussion point, depending on how he works with the team. But I also want to talk about Valtteri Bottas, a driver that you brought up a minute or two ago, because he traditionally here has had a great record. And with Alfa Romeo, of course, the chances of winning or maybe even taking pole position are very, very far off. But he's done great here. This and Sochi are essentially his key circuits. So with Sochi gone, I'm sure the pressure will be on him to deliver here
1: because this is Valtteri Bottas' home turf, essentially. It is his home turf, literally speaking. And uh, I think he has been out-qualified by Joe Guan Yu for two consecutive races. He's also not been as uh, you know happy in his point-scoring positions. He's gone maybe three races without the points, if, if my math is correct. Yes, he, he's actually... No, he's gone two races out of the last three without the points. So for him to make a comeback would be spectacular. And on my list, always... I think it's like how you always have Carlos Sainz prediction for race winner, Samuel. My eight sleep list of performers, uh, you know, is always going to have Daniel Ricciardo. He now officially has the worst start to an F1 career in his season ever, in his career ever, right? I really wish that he's able to sort things out. In Silverstone, he complained about the fact that his McLaren had literally no grip whatsoever. So let's see how he sort of bounces back with his team. And then I'd love to see what Lance Stroll is going to be up to doing. I mean, he has finished every race this season, right? He, uh, however, has just three points. That means he scored one point in three races over the last 10 races, right? And he was 11th in Silverstone. But I don't understand what the strolls are doing i mean especially lance stroll and what his father lauren stroll is doing with his son's racing career in aston martin but that's for another episode but these two drivers are definitely on my list of uh, performers
0: now uh, i have to bring up this particular joke that we often tend to use back here in india when people ask well what do you do many people end up saying well i'm a pilot i end up wasting my dad's money so in hindi it essentially translates into that but he's just doing that he's Taking all of his dad's money and flying it away—that's what the sentiment of most people is. But no, generally he's he's improved. But I, I can't quite see him beating Sebastian Vettel yet. And to see how he performs in this weekend, where we also have a sprint, is going to be tricky and and very interesting. Because Vettel, of course, is doing a great job with the Aston Martin. Can we see some sense of improvement? Maybe some competition with the Aston Martin? Because at this stage, they're quite pulling in the opposite direction right now. But well. We often tend to rain down on their parade. Let's hope they have a good weekend. But uh, there's a very interesting story that I wanted to discuss very from, from a very long time. And it's a question that I had right after Carlos Sainz was given a silver trophy at the British GP. And I said, well, hang on a minute. Don't they give out the gold trophy to the winner? And then he actually got it. But the big question still remains, why does the winner of the British GP only get, well, not only get, but why does the winner of the British GP get two trophies? Here's F1 Statskuru Sundram to answer that Right here on the Inside Line
3: one podcast. Listen. Are you wondering why did Carlos Sainz receive two trophies on the British Grand Prix podium? So one set of trophies is actually on behalf of the event sponsor or the title partner, like Pirelli, Santander, or even Sega, for instance. And the other one is that beautiful golden trophy called the Royal Automobile Club Trophy, which is regularly presented to the winner of the British Grand Prix each year. But there's an interesting backstory to that. You see, this trophy is actually 150 years old and was first presented at a horse show in 1898. But F1 drivers or teams don't get to keep this trophy as it's returned back to the Royal Automobile Club where it's permanently housed. So the trophy is presented during the podium ceremony, drivers carry it along and celebrate with their fans and sometimes even bring it to the press conference. And then the officials go, thank you so much sir, but we'll take that back. And that's why this trophy is never visible in the trophy cabinets of teams like Ferrari, Mercedes or even Red Bull. I mean, think of this, Lewis Hamilton, an 8-time British Grand Prix winner, yet he can't take this brilliant trophy home every time he wins here. Jeez, I really hope he has a few replicas at least. But that's not all. The astonishing fact is, no one really knows the true origins of this trophy, not even the Royal Automobile Club. Legend has it that it was donated to the club by Sir Charles Rolls, the co-founder of the Rolls-Royce Motor Company. Interesting, isn't it? Do follow me on Twitter and Instagram under the name F1StatsGuru. Hey folks, welcome back into the Inside Line F1 podcast. And yeah,
0: now it makes sense to see why Carlos Sainz was given the gold trophy. And luckily he was not because that trophy, I think, should be the gold standard. I mean, quite literally for all the other trophies that that are handed out in the entire Formula 1 season. But yes, the Austrian GP trophy might not be as special, but it still means the same thing, right? 25 points at the end who would you pick to get those points? And actually, not just twenty-five, right? It's it's going to be twenty-eight, isn't it? This
1: time on with a sprint. Ah, it's more actually. The the drivers from the sprint actually have more points. Oh ah, yes. So it's going to it's I, I think isn't it eight points for the winner of the sprint uh, from this uh, season? Anyway, I would go for Charles Leclerc to actually be finally winning a race. His last race win was many many races ago in Australia. I will go for Leclerc. But which win? A sprint win or a major win? Because we
0: know that he does great on Saturday. Well, does that mean he's only going to do great on Saturday again this time out? And and I emphasize on the only part because that's what a season has been like all around.
1: So sprint or the main race? I think he's going to do both. I definitely think he's going to do both. And for me, I guess
0: I'm going to make it a meme, but luckily it's been a bit solidified at this stage. I'm going to go for a Carlos Sainz win yet again in the main race. But for the sprint, I just can't look beyond Max Verstappen. He's just too good at this moment. But I think Carlos Sainz will end up getting the win. But finally, Kunal, this whole weekend, any major talking point, any other driver that you want to look forward to? What's it that excites you the most, finally?
1: I think this is having so many races in the month of July. July and October are supposed to be the best m- best months for Formula 1 fans and drivers. We have four races uh this uh month out of five weekends. This is only the second race so there are two more races after this. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm just excited to see how all the races unfold. We've got France and then uh Budapest. And, uh, yes, if there's another driver I'm excited to see, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say Mick Schumacher. You know, he's also lifted the whole pressure of scoring his first points in Formula One. He just didn't score it out of luck. He was battling Max Verstappen. And, boy, he actually battled very well. So what could Mick do just the way we are saying, you know, what can Carlos Sainz now do now that a big pressure off their shoulders ha- have been lifted?
0: Yeah, he has to score some good points this weekend. Sorry about that. I had to get a pun into this episode. You know how the deal is, right? But folks, thank you for bearing with this pun. And thank you for listening to the entire episode of the Inside Line of Phone podcast. And I hope you enjoyed it, particularly the British EP story, which was actually something that even I didn't know leading up to this weekend. So it's great learning for all of us. And don't forget to tune in to the race review episode as well that comes out on Monday. So thank you for listening and we shall see you rather soon. Enjoy the weekend. Bye-bye.